0: Evergreen. We're so glad that you joined us this morning. And if you're listening online via podcast, we want to say welcome to you as well. I hope that you've all been taking our challenge and partnering up with friends and family with this adventure series uh, these past couple of weeks. You should have gotten the next one as you came in the door. And I might be a little bit biased, but I think it's the best one yet. So make sure you get it uh, on your way out, way out if you didn't grab it. Uh, the series has been centered around a very sacred time leading up to Christmas Known as Advent. And some of you may know this, some of you may not, uh, but the words that we've been going over each week are actually based off of a very historic tradition of the Advent wreath. And each candle, there are four candles around the Advent wreath, have a different word to represent hope and peace and joy and love. And maybe you were with us a couple years ago when we actually handed your family their own wreath and their own candles to take home and celebrate. Um, So the first week, uh, Jared explored the meaning of hope and what does hope look like in a hopeless world or in your seemingly hopeless situation. And then last week, Anne zoomed in on the concept of peace. How might peace reign in our hearts like it did for Mary and Joseph that first Christmas? And this morning, I get the privilege of introducing... uh, our collective and guiding our individual and collective hearts and minds to the topic of joy. The attitude, the feeling, and what I'm going to propose is actually a choice, the choice of joy. So how many of you have Christmas songs that you love, that you want on repeat, like raise your hands high and proud? Okay, can can someone just, can you shout out a couple of your favorite Christmas songs? Don't be shy. Silent Silent Night, Jingle Bells, Rudolph. Joy to the world. What? Ava Maria. Yes. Okay. So this is a more dangerous question. How many of you have Christmas songs that you hate? Yeah, like that, that comes to me faster. That's not good. But yes. Okay. So I'll, I'll share my two that I hate. The first one, my favorite things. It's not a Christmas song. It what didn't take place, I don't think, in the Christmas part of the movie. I don't understand why because they mention like a snowflake on eyelashes, it automatically becomes a Christmas song. It's not. And then the second one is Santa baby. I'm so glad no one said that was their favorite song. Did you say it was? Oh, okay. <laughs> because it's so awkward and uncomfortable and inappropriate and I'm thinking I don't want like he's only 10 months right now, but my 10-month-old boy like listening to that song when it comes on in a couple years I have a lot of explaining to do. So, I think about these songs at Christmas time. And you know, Christianity is such a joyful faith. It's a faith that has been singing and expressing the joy through singing for thousands of years. And actually, we as a religion have more songs than any other religion in the world. We have so many thousands of songs. And it's a reminder, right, that that we're supposed to be having a party. We're supposed to have a celebration. It's a birthday. It's a festival. And there are many songs, not just the Christian ones, like It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year or Have a Holly Jolly Christmas Or um, walking in a winter wonderland. Like these are all communicating this idea that Christmas is supposed to be a kind of a trouble-free, warm, rich season. But for many people and for many of you here this morning in this very room, that's not at all what you are experiencing this season. I have a, a gal that I follow and just love. Her name is Jamie Wright, and she calls herself the very worst missionary. <laughs> and uh, she's totally um, edgy and kind of prides herself on being um, slightly inappropriate. Um, again, a, a window into my world, I guess. But, um, so I enjoy her. I think she's really edgy and fun. And um, she, she lost her son um, to suicide earlier this year, her 18-year-old son. And this is a quote directly from her, I think it was yesterday that she posted, and it says, I tried to listen to Christmas carols the other day, and I couldn't do it. It's no surprise that I'm struggling through all the Christmas stuff after this bleep year. And as I try to figure out where grief fits in during the holidays, I mean, what are you supposed to do with a broken heart when celebration is the name of the game? I literally want to scream expletives at the top of my lungs while everyone else is shouting joy to the world. And I don't know, I guess that seems like a problem. (laughs) Some of you are dreading 10 days from now when your family gathers together. Others of you are exhausted from working overtime and just trying to provide gifts for your kids or your grandkids. Some of you have been so physically sick and ill this year that you can't really remember a day without pain. For others, it might be your first Christmas without a loved one and you're living in constant memories rather than in the present. Perhaps your marriage is crumbling and you don't know what to do. Or maybe there isn't anything wrong on the outside. Your circumstances to everyone else look perfectly fine or normal, But inside, you're just not enjoying the season. Christmas isn't providing that usual, predictable, emotional lift that you've come to expect. In fact, it might almost be depressing. Instead of it looking like a winter wonderland to you, it just looks like winter. Dead and gray and cold. But I want to encourage you this morning while also identifying the tension that we all feel. You know, the Lord spoke very clearly to me, and I'm saying this strongly because the Lord, believe it or not, even as a pastor, doesn't, like, speak super clearly to me all the time. I'm not in, like, constant, you know, revelation. Uh, But he said to me, and he just told me, like, I want you to write this down. I said, okay, He wants me to share with you this, that just as Christmas is meant to be an infusion of joy into this dark and dreary season, so are we, so are the Christians meant to be an infusion of joy into this dark and weary world. Now, I know that some of you right now are holding back. You're internally rolling your eyes at me. You're in significant pain. And the last thing you need is someone telling you to put on a happy face. You're struggling, you're suffering, and you can't infuse joy into yourself, let alone think about infusing it into someone else. The joy, the true joy, seems wildly distant. And my hope this morning is that our time together will give you a truer understanding of joy because we've gotten a lot of things wrong about it. And that joy when you leave here won't just seem accessible but multipliable. So we're going to do that by looking at the story in Scripture of the wise men. Many of you, I'm sure, know this story, but I would like to maybe blow your minds a little bit this morning and say you might not know it the way that you think you should (laughs) because we've made up a lot of fillers and things about this story, fun little facts. So, for instance, we know in Matthew chapter 2, I'm going to give you a little summary. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and it says that wise men, it doesn't say three wise men. Nowhere in Scripture does it say three wise men. We made that up. We probably made that up because there's three gifts we know, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and we figure, well, one gift for each person. But we all know there's that one person who comes to a party without a gift, right? So let's be honest. You know who you are. (laughs) Um, So Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and you have the wise men, it says, that arrived in Jerusalem from the east, which was probably somewhere past Palestine. So by this point, they've traveled hundreds of miles, And they get to Jerusalem and they begin to ask people, where can we find this Jesus? Where can we pay tribute to this child? We observed a star in this eastern sky and we followed it. It signaled his birth. We're on a pilgrimage to find him. And some of you might be wondering, well, how the heck did they look at a star and know that Jesus was born? Well, if you spend some time in the Old Testament, you'll see in the book of Malachi and a few other places this prophecy that there will be a star that will guide and lead them to this newborn king. So the king at the time, his name is Herod, finds out about these men who are on a quest to find Jesus. And he calls them to come to have a secret meeting with him. And he tells them that when and if they find this Jesus, they have to let him know so that he too can worship him. He doesn't really want to worship him. He wants to kill him. He wants to know where is this new king of the Jews because I'm going to take him out because I'm threatened By the fact that there might be, there's this new king coming, and I want to be in charge. So we pick up in chapter 2, verse 9. It says, and so they left. So the wise men have traveled to Jerusalem, traveled hundreds of miles to Jerusalem, and now they're going to leave from Jerusalem to go to Bethlehem. And suddenly the same star that they had seen in the east, it says, reappeared. Amazed, they watched as it went ahead of them and stopped directly over the place where the child was. Notice the word child. Actually, nowhere in the scripture does it say that they saw baby Jesus. Nowhere. We made that up. (laughs) We, I mean, I don't know why. I mean, I think we kind of thought it's just more exciting to think about like them. They're like, push, Mary, push. Like wiping off the placenta, like just getting in there, you know. But nowhere does it say that. (laughs) So it says when he was a child, They show up, right? Because when they first saw the star in the sky, Jesus was signaling Jesus was born. It took hundreds of miles. Think about how many months it would have taken for them to get there. Some scholars even say Jesus could have been as old as two by the time they made it. So this cute little ornament that I ripped off one of our trees is a little bit discouraging to me. It's not quite accurate, but I think that this story is still very powerful. So it says that they go to the place where the child was. And in verse 10, it says, and when they saw the star, they were so ecstatic that they shouted and they celebrated with unrestrained joy. And when they came into the house, notice not the major, not the barn, the house, it was actually a home at this point when they show up. And they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, they were overcome. Falling to the ground at his feet, they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure boxes full of gifts and presented him with gold, which would have been a gift for royalty. Frankincense, which is an incense connected to priests and prayer. And myrrh. What's so powerful about myrrh, if you don't know, is it was a perfuming agent that was used to preserve dead bodies. Why would you bring that to a child? Well, I think many of you know the story of Jesus, right? I think there's some prophecy happening there. I don't even know if they knew what they were saying, but it's pretty incredible. Myrrh. So there's three things that we can learn from the story, I think. There's probably more, but I'm going to propose three things that we can learn from the story of the wise men coming to see Jesus. And within those three things, there's a nugget, there's a question that I want you to go home with and ask yourself. The first is this, we can learn that joy goes beyond our circumstances. Joy goes beyond our circumstances. Most people look for joy in the wrong places. You know that song, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places? Looking for joy in all the wrong places through their job, their house, their relationship, their family, their security, their kids. I think of Marie Kondo. Does this spark joy? She kind of cheapened the word joy, right? So these little items are supposed to bring us joy. That's happiness. That's not joy, right? What do you, where do you seek? Where do you look? Where do you look for your joy? Where does your joy come from? Does it come from the circumstances around you? Martin Luther King was an incredible preacher, and he wrote a sermon called Looking Beyond Your Circumstances. And I wanna read you a little segment of it. He said, one of the greatest temptations of life is to become too absorbed in one's circumstances. There are many people whose visions are turned totally inward and they can never see beyond their particular circumstances. This always leads to tragic consequences. Whenever a man looks merely at his circumstances, he ends up in despair, disillusionment, and cynicism. The great burden of life then is to master the art of looking beyond one's circumstances. Master the art of looking beyond one's circumstances. I think of the book of Psalms and we see constantly this man named David just meditating on his own circumstances. Right, He's just constantly like kind of complaining (laughs) about things that are going wrong. He has some praise and worship in there too, but there is a lot of complaining. And he talks about moments when the roaring waters Uh, pour over him, when his enemies surround him, how the wicked are elevated to prosperity, how the righteous are crushed by suffering. But in the midst of all of these things that he's identifying, you see in chapter 27, verse 13, he says, I would have fainted unless, I would have fainted unless I had seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living." I believe, I believe that I can see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And by fainting here, David is not referring to physical fainting. Obviously, he's referring to a spiritual collapse, or uh, he would just say that my courage and my spirit would collapse. I would have fallen into this state of dejection. I would have completely been under the weight of cynicism if I I had only looked at my particular circumstances. But I gained the courage. I gained the courage to look beyond my circumstances. And by so doing, he's, he's implying, I was able to see the goodness of God winning its victory in history. I think of Kay Warren, the wife of Rick Warren, massive, massive community a uh, church community down in California, and she wrote a book called Choose Joy. And the way that she defines joy is this. She says, it's the settled assurance that God is in control of every detail in my life, the quiet confidence that ultimately everything will be all right, and the determined choice to praise God in all things. And I want you to know that that was written by a woman whose son killed himself. This woman knows deep pain and deep grief. But she has chosen to know deep joy as well. Joy is a response, not to our circumstances, but to our victory in Jesus. Choosing joy, friends, is not irresponsible. Choosing joy beyond your own circumstances is not inauthentic. It's actually incredibly brave. No one wants you to lie about your experience. I don't want you to pretend that you're somewhere that you're not today. Joy is about knowing that in the deepest part of your soul, in the messiest and in the darkest places, That evil doesn't have the last say. Hell and death doesn't win. There is more. You might be thinking, well, well, what was bad about the wise men's circumstances? Well, I just want to propose to you that walking or riding a camel hundreds of miles in the desert was not fun. I mean, blisters, chafing um loss of food sleeping arrangements for months at a time their circumstances were not wonderful and rosy and great but they continued onward and found joy in knowing the destination would be different so that leads us to joy growing with anticipation so we see very clearly the wise men are looking for the star they wondering when is the star going to appear, and when it shows, they want to follow it. They're anticipating what is going to be at the end of this journey. They're waiting to meet this boy, the son of God. They had this prophecy in their hearts and in their minds, and they were anticipating what was to come. How many of you have heard of a man named Bob Goff? Quite a few of you. So um, Bob is Founder of an organization called Love Does. He's a New York Times best-selling author, um, and he's actually the honorary consul to uh, the Republic of Uganda. He is an attorney. He's this incredible, uh, an incredible gentleman. And almost every time you see a picture of Bob Goff, there's like these bright balloons behind his head, and he's just a happy person. Like you just sense, I want to be with that guy. I want to hang out with him. He literally put his phone number in the back of his best-selling book. So people could text or call him so that he could be there for them. He's just wild and crazy. And he says, I want to live a life filled with constant anticipation. I live in constant anticipation of the good stuff. It's not being Pollyanna about things, but most stories don't have the ending we would give them right away. In 2007, there was a group of researchers who wanted to test this theory that anticipation arouses more intense emotion than retrospection. And in in other words, this idea that would people enjoy looking forward to things much more than looking back on them? And the short answer is yes. In fact, there is scientific proof that anticipation is much more enjoyable and rich than reflection. Any of you who know me know that this is true for me when I think about vacations. I am the one who thinks... Planning them is just about as fun as going on them. Like, I love it. I love writing down every detail, researching. My husband and I are both put on our weather app, the next destination we have, and it'll be on there for months. And we'll, like, check it multiple nights a week, like, oh, it's blah, blah, blah in Maui right now. Or it's so-and-so in Colorado or, you know, fill in the blank. There's this anticipation that grows with it for us. We get so excited knowing that that's coming I'm always thinking about the next adventure. I'm thinking about what's the next challenge in my job, the next place I'm gonna visit, the next restaurant I'm gonna try, because I don't like to go back to the same one twice unless it is excellent. I always have something on my calendar that I'm looking forward to. You can come up to me anytime and be like, Lydia, what are, what's on your calendar you're looking forward to? And I guarantee you I'll have an answer. I just have this joy and it grows with the, the anticipation, the process. This idea that we're supposed to think and dream and wonder about our future is actually really a part of our our DNA and our wiring. Right now, many of you, it it might be Christmas, or maybe you remember as a child what it was like to anticipate Christmas morning, right? I think of Santa, right, from Elf. Like, just get so stoked about it. I remember being a child and getting up so stinking early that Santa hadn't even come yet. And so we had to be ushered in around the Christmas tree into my grandma's bedroom and lock the door, until we could come out like a couple hours later, right? I think about in and out, just opening in Kaiser. Like, I have been anticipating that. My friends and I, we've been texting back and forth, like updates every time there was an update on the Oregonian, like five more days. Oh, is it this day? Is it this day? I was so excited. I love the anticipation. Where are you gonna show up in this, God? What are you gonna do? When will I hear from you? How will I encounter you? What do you seek? What do you seek? What do you anticipate? Are you seeking the right things? Are you anticipating the right things? You need to build in some things into your life to create that joy, that wonder. And the last thing that we can see is that joy is born out of gratitude. And this is just covered throughout the story of the wise men. You see, you see them falling to the feet of Jesus, and it says they worshiped him. Did you know happiness makes you feel good, but joy makes you worship? True joy makes you worship. So I think we could all agree that gratitude is actually, it's an action. It's it's a verbal affirmation or maybe it's a present or a financial blessing or a card um, or just an acknowledgement, a text of acknowledgement, right? It's, It's something active. It's something that can be witnessed. It's gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It's words of praise. It's a body language of honor kneeling down at the feet of Jesus. There is power in our giving of gratitude. So the question of what do you give What do you give? Because we all give something. We all emote something into the emotional and physical and spiritual universe. All of us. Do you give gratitude? Do you pour out your thanks lavishly? Or are you stingy with your words of praise and appreciation? Not just to God, but to one another. Do you give in response to the gift of life that God has given you the second chance and provision that God has gifted you. Do you give with that in mind? Ann Voskamp is a really uh, famous author and she wrote this book called 1,000 Gifts. And I'm gonna pull a Jared Roth here and say, I'm gonna tell you the title, but I don't necessarily recommend you read the book. So uh, I'm gonna tell you that and say, it's a little syrupy for me, it's a little too cheesy for me. So all of you women, who love that book I apologize but it's just it's not me but the premise of the book I love it's this idea that we have gifts every day that we should be looking for and she talks about how in giving thanks for the life she has it made her realize that she's living the life she always wanted that everyday gratitude began to open up her eyes to the joy that was already abundant in her life, and she was missing it. So she created something called the Joy Dare, and you can actually go online, it's free, and download it. And for each month and for each day, there are three different Joy Dares, three different places that you are challenged to find joy in your day. It's very similar to the idea of a gratitude journal, um, and it's interesting, there's a lot of research that's been done on this as well. I talked about the research with anticipation, but there's a lot of research with gratitude. And it, it, there was a study that I that I found that said participants who'd kept a gratitude journal felt better about their lives as a whole and were more optimistic about their future. They were actually a full 25% happier than the other participants. Acts chapter 16 might be an example of this. They didn't keep a gratitude journal, but Paul and Silas are in prison They've been placed in there really uh, for doing what Jesus told them to do. They're, they're being illegally beaten. They're unlawfully in prison. Their backs are bruised and bleeding. Their ankles are in stocks. And it says that they rejoice and they praised the Lord. I'd be like, something's up with your head, right? Something isn't computing. But they could sing, right, like joy to the world. They could sing that because the Lord really had come. Because they knew this isn't the end. Even if I die here, this isn't the end. You know, in my darkest days, I've shared in some of my other messages, some of my my darker days, especially in my earlier 20s, when I really, really wrestled, I really, really wrestled with, just, do I even want to live? Like, I I was struggling. And in those days of intense depression and anxiety and fear, when I felt like the devil was right up in my face at all times, I remember having a sheet, like a sticky note pad, and I still have a sticky note pad for random things that come to my mind. Now I probably just put it in my phone, I guess. But, and I would write down the things that I was grateful for. And I was not feeling it. I wasn't feeling it at all. I was feeling the complete opposite. But I would force myself to choose gratitude, to choose joy, In that moment, I will write down everything until my mind can't think anymore and until I can settle and rest in the presence of God to say thank you. Thank you for all these things. Three years ago, just at about this time of year, sweet uh, Emily Baldwin was born. And Emily was born to Sarah and Clint Baldwin. And Sarah was the campus pastor at George Fox University when I was a student and uh, she was an incredible inspiration to me. She was the only, uh, I think, one of two female campus pastors in the whole nation at the time. And uh, she was a mentor to me and she was a beacon of hope uh, as I was figuring out my calling. And in 2016, after they had lived in Kentucky now, they found out they were pregnant. And this was a surprise to them because their oldest daughter is in college. Right? Yeah. Um, Emily was born at this time of year and she was born with Down syndrome. And I have continued to watch their story unfold over social media um, as they've had an incredibly steep learning curve uh, and adjusted to life and later in life with a child with special needs. Well, last month it was discovered that Emily also has a life threatening spinal cord injury. And would need surgery as soon as possible. On this Wednesday, she had her surgery. I want you to take a look at these photos of her while I read some some words from her parents, Sarah and Clint. Sarah said, I have always prayed the prayer that God would hem us in. Ahead, behind, and on all sides. I have never felt that as much today as today with the prayers and love of the people holding Emily She is strong and will recover well. In this life, we can't go over it. We can't go under it. We can't go around it. We've got to go through it, but not alone. With God and the people of God. Whatever you are walking through today or this year, I believe God is hemming you in as well. We do the through together. Much gratitude to our people near and far. And then I have an excerpt from Clint He says, our precious Emily endured five hours of a neurosurgical spinal cranial fusion operation today. All went as well as could be hoped. She is now being pumped full of drugs and has days of recovery and pain management ahead of her in the hospital. Emily is navigating considerable pain and discomfort, but we are thankful for the team of professionals guiding our family through this. It's Advent, and as we once again wait for the coming and healing of the Messiah, we find ourselves also waiting for the healing in a bit of a varied sense but of another child this year too we are thankful for medical professionals we are thankful for having access to such medical professionals this operation that transpired is meant to both literally help keep emily alive and in the long run in her flourishing still even helpful things can be very hard so we pray and we wait We pray and we wait for Emily's progress of healing, recovery. We are so thankful for all of you who have let us know that you also pray and wait too. We hope in God. Come, Lord Jesus. I think that the words that you hear of my friends, in in those words, you hear them looking beyond their circumstances. You hear them growing in their anticipation. And you hear them practicing real gratitude. Because, friends, joy is active. Happiness is passive. Happiness depends on happenings, what happens to you. Joy is to some extent within your control. May we choose and spread true, authentic, deep joy this Christmas. I think about the sparklers and the adventure that you're invited to take this week. You get to celebrate that everlasting joy with the birth of Jesus brings to a really, really tired world. The sparklers that you've been given, they're a representation, they're a physical manifestation of the light that God has brought into the darkness. Christmas, I'll say again what I said at the very beginning. Christmas is meant to be an infusion of joy into this dark and dreary season. And we, if you call yourself a Christ follower this morning, you are meant to be an infusion of joy into this dark and weary world. Let it be so. Let's pray. God, we come to you as people that are weary. (laughs) We need you to lift our heads. We need you to fill us afresh. We need you to lead us in new ways. God, the joy that you promise we are seeking today. And we wanna seek it today for the people who don't even have the strength to seek it for themselves. God, we are broken and we represent even more broken people that we know and that we love. And God, we are desperate for a touch from you. We are desperate for more of your joy to fill us, to pour out and overflowing for, from us. And that it would be an encouragement, not a falsehood, not a, a fake way of being, not a, just to a, a put a smile on, but that it would resonate so deep in us that the roots would grow, God, and that people would see you like they've never seen you before. Not because our circumstances are great, not because everything's working out, but because we have chosen to just lay at your feet and say, fill me, Jesus. Focus my eyes on the things that matter, on eternity. I just wanna take an opportunity, if you're here this morning and you You came in really broken. You came in really weary. You came in looking for just a speck of joy. We'd love to pray. For you and we want to see your hand so that we can acknowledge you. If you. Raise your hand if that's you so we can pray so that God can can pray and see, you. yes, I see you in the back. Yeah, we want to just pray, yes and lift up those situations, God. All of the, the needs, yes, all the ones over there, thank you so much. We're praying God, we are praying for your kingdom to come, your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, Father. Would you see these hands? Would you, you know the stories, you know the pain, you know the hurt, God, and would you come and would you do What only you do, which is restore and bring hope and bring light and bring life, God, in the darkest and messiest places. If there's anyone here this morning, I wanna give an opportunity as well. You've never really entered into what true joy because you don't have a relationship with the creator of it. You've never said yes to the father of joy. If that's you this morning and you wanna do that, Would you just raise your hand and look at me so we can pray for you? We can invite God into your life, invite the Holy Spirit to come and infuse joy in you so that you don't have to muster it up on your own. Is there anyone here this morning that needs that? Yeah, I see that in the back. Thank you. God, we pray for this one hand this morning, God, that was brave and bold to say, yeah, I need you. I need you to come in and I need you to rearrange it all. (laughs) I need you to come in and I need you to bring joy like I've never experienced. She's been experiencing happiness and now she's ready to experience joy. God, thank you. May she walk into relationship with you, Father. May we be an encouraging place, God, that would give her uh, the path to take. God, we just thank you that more people are gonna continue to come to know you this Advent and this Christmas season, the author of joy. Lord, we trust you. We trust you with our stories. And we thank you for the joy that we can leave here with today. In Jesus' name.